0: And welcome to what? It is another quarantine episode because that is the new normal, horrifically, but we do have me and Chelsea in the same sort of virtual room. Chelsea, what's up? Me and Chelsea in the same sort of virtual room. It's a fun episode because we have, once again, for everybody's enjoyment, Mitch Donahue is joining us. Mitch, how are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic.
0: Good. Well, How's well, your well. quarantine life?
1: Oh, uh, quarantine's going great. I've read multiple books that Beautiful. I've been waiting to read. And, uh,. <laughs> If you guys loved my last story about a whale exploding, then uh, you might be disappointed. But
2: no, <laughs> no, don't say that. Mitch, I do be reading, too, as well. Also such as I've read, like, books.
1: What have you read? <laughs> Tell me about it.
2: Um, I read a really good book by an Austin author, and it was called White Fur. And it was a love story. And then right now I'm reading My Dark Vanessa, which is Ooh. an incredibly good book, and it's really upsetting. Uh, and every time I read it, I have to stop after a while and then go hug my cat. Aw, wonderful! Upon Mitch's advice, I'm reading
0: Norse mythology.
1: Oh, what a great book!
2: So great! I have a TikTok to send to you, Mitch. Don't let me forget. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right.
0: it's a retelling of the norse mythology stories by neil gaiman and
2: i have just
0: recently played through god of war for the first time and uh, mitch suggested that i read that while i'm playing it and it does definitely give some incredible context to that game so that's been really cool and i'm then so
1: excited i can't this is one of the few times that somebody has actually heeded my advice well, we
0: both are because <laughs> Miles is reading your other me- recommendation, Heart Shaped Box.
1: That's what I've been rereading was Heart Shaped Box, which is my favorite. It's the introductory novel from my favorite horror author, Joe Hill.
0: So, it's, it's real hill. spooky chelsea you'd like it too
1: it's good and then i just read the graveyard book which is also a neil gaiman book it's like a children's Ooh. book it's kind of his take on the jungle book and it is very good highly recommend.
2: oh fun joe That's hill cool. is uh stephen king's son right
1: it is yeah but it, what's funny about heartshade box is that he actually sold it uh to his publisher without them knowing the context Before
0: they of knew him
1: before they knew he was Stephen King's son. And it's really funny when you read the rest of Joe Hill's work, which I've read most of, and you can tell he's Stephen King's son. <laughs>
2: <But> <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fact, Bang. That is a good one. The only other person I know that did that was uh, J.K. Rowling did that with her um, mystery novels. She was like, I just oh, really? got away from my... Yeah, they were published under, I think it's Robert Galbraith. And it was because she was like, oh, I don't want it to be like... Harry, like JK Rowling, does mystery. Like, I want to see if people would actually read them without knowing because that cool. those are the yeah, kind I...
0: of experiments that you can have when you're like a bajillionaire, yeah, when you're
2: incredibly successful and famous. And <laughs>
0: yes, I just want to see if people give a shit anyway,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> validation. And she got it well, good for her. <laughs>
0: I'm going to kick us off just because I'm already talking. <laughs> the title of my topic is Founder, Expander, Preserver, Unifier. Go.
2: Founder,
1: exp- FEPU.
2: Well, I don't think it's an acronym because <laughs> I just read it. That's not good. FEPU.
1: <laughs> is it about a historical figure?
2: Uh, Yes, it is about several historical figures. So it's not about personality types? No. Yeah. No.
1: Is it like a Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, where each <laughs> one is its own character? E-
0: yes. It's nothing to do with Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, but it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. Each, that's each one of yeah. Is that what you're... Yeah. Each one of those words describes a separate person. Founder.
1: Interesting.
2: Founder,
0: provider, unifier. founder expander, preserver, unifier.
2: Is it about uh the war?
0: The war? No.
2: <sighs> Fuck.
1: Mm. I got another
2: Nothing. This is an example of a title that, like, both gives a lot of information, but also I'm still completely stunned.
1: I am intrigued.
2: Chelsea, what's yours? Mine is owl or lark. Owl or lark. And I want you guys to know that this is one that I'm feeling very passionate about. So get ready. I don't know much about larks. I know that owl is a bird of prey. They got
0: long legs, really long legs that are hidden behind all that. Their- feathers and they're hilarious
1: they're also a symbol for wisdom
0: true and the lark is often thought about with like dawn heralding the morning that kind of thing yeah
2: like lark the Air- herald angel sing <laughs> <laughs> I'm just lark and owl
0: wait being a morning person or an evening person i'm a night owl you got
2: it <gasps> did i yeah holy fucking shit balls that's it that's what my topic is about it's about morning. It's about the idea of like morning people versus night people. No way. Yeah. Oh my Interesting. god! Interesting. Uh, I'm so proud so of this. Oh, Tell us your title.
1: Mine's not nearly as cryptic, but uh, still fun. It's actually pulled from a quote that I found uh, regarding this topic. Uh, my title is The Stupidest Sporting Event of All Time
2: <laughs> Curling. Quit it.
1: It's not curling. It's not quite a <laughs> known what super fan, uh, my wife, Warren Donahue, specifically told me not to talk about sports. And so that was the first thing I researched.
2: Uh, Great. Good, good. Is it the stupidest? <laughs> is it that fluke talk? Like that Red Bull thing where they throw stuff off the cliff? It is not. Uh, is it yes. about how people are betting on really dumb stuff now because there's no sports to bet on?
1: No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> And this is coming from a guy who watched an NBA 2K tournament for four hours the other night. <laughs> no, it is a it is a real sporting event that actually happened.
2: It's a real life one. Damn. So, real quick before we get started, I just want to know, Mitch, did you watch that NBA horse thing?
1: I, I watched about 10 minutes of it. I, I, I don't know
2: watch NBA stuff, but I heard it was unwatchable, which kind of made me want yeah. to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I kind of think that I should go first because you guessed my topic. What do you th- Okay. You go with that? Yeah, that sounds great. Chelsea, take it away. Well, take it away. Sorry. So I've been thinking about this a lot, especially I think a lot of people are right now. And I think the reason that it's at the forefront of my head, um, you know, this idea of morning people, is because I feel like in our current climate, in, you know, corona-induced lockdown, there are a lot of people who are coping with this by really moving towards this productivity culture thing, right? I'm just like, what are you going to do in quarantine? To be fair, I think it's as valid of a coping strategy as my coping strategy, which is just a lot of alcohol and Cardi Valley. (laughs) (laughs) So like if that that is what helps you through this is to say, okay, well, I'm going to be as productive as possible and I'm going to go, you know, finally write my novel or get into shape or whatever, then that's great. Yeah. However... I think that like a lot of things with productivity culture, it also starts to manifest in this weird thing of like, well, yeah, I mean... I woke up at seven a.m. and prepared an organic banana smoothie bowl, and then I ran five miles, and then I read three books. Like, and then it was nine a.m. What did you do this morning? Yeah, there's
1: a lot of competitiveness. It's like bragging about your time.
2: Yeah, (laughs) bragging about time, which is just (laughs) weird, and also a luxury that most people don't have. Like, as we've seen, a lot of people don't have the privilege of being locked down right now because even if they're not an essential worker, they still have to work. Sometimes jobs, sometimes under the table jobs now. Otherwise, they can't make their rent. And like, even though the lockdown has happened, like regular life has not stopped. So I started thinking about kind of what I have always felt in my life as the oppressive regime of mourning people. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, morning people somehow they control the world and the rest of us to do morning people stuff and then they claim that being a morning person is a choice and that if you are a you know it's like all coded in this like language I told you I was fired up about this it's all coded in this language of like well if you are motivated or if you're driven or if you're um disciplined then you're gonna wake up early and do this stuff, and if you're if you're not, it's because you're not any of those things. Well, right, that is scientifically not true. So That's hooey, That's hooey. Uh, it's it's completely it's completely incorrect. This is years and years of science across multiple academic centers that focus specifically on sleep, uh, and so here are some of the things that they've learned. And this is this is dedicated to my fellow owls. This is what they have found. One is that whether or not you are a morning person or a night person as in like whether you are the most active productive happy and comfortable in the early morning versus in the early evening into the night is influenced entirely by your genes there's a genetic factor for it and they've isolated really yeah they've isolated the morning person and the night person gene no uh, way yeah they've found the gene and they have then followed it forward into showing that if you have that gene, then your uh, brainstem is more active and releases like active hormones in the morning versus in the afternoon. Uh, Whoa! Awesome. Yeah. So
1: it's, I feel like my entire existence just got justified.
2: Yeah. It, yes. I think possible <laughs> people feel that way. So they have also found that they think that your sleep preference may be bundled with other other specific characteristics and it has to do with again like the um the rhythm of hormones that are released throughout the day for you so for example there's a dopamine receptive gene a dopamine receptor gene that is associated with being a night person being an owl as well as being um, having difficulty with insomnia and sleep disturbance and also Mm. and which kind of makes sense but yeah. The other thing, a lot of these are like about correlation and causation, because this is the funny thing that you'll read. And this is where I start to get real frustrated. <laughs> when you read these studies, and I've read this stuff before, it'll say things like, yeah, that we also find that people who are owls, who are not larks, who are not morning people, they have a higher instance of insomnia, depression, sometimes type 2 diabetes, wow. and an overall lower quality of life. Uh, And so therefore morning people will then say, well, see, there's your evidence. Like you shouldn't be a night person. You should try to be a morning person because they're doing all these other things. But again, that is not true because one thing that scientists point out is this is correlation, but it's not causation. So yes, there is a correlation between being a night person, having, again, having these genes in your brain, in your DNA and some of these issues like high blood sugar, depression, sleeplessness, but the, there's really strong evidence that the reason that happens is because society operates on a morning Lark's schedule. So right. you would be depressed yeah. if people, t- if you, know, you had to wake up at um, 7 a.m., for example, to get to work at 9 a.m. When your brain is literally like not ready to function yet. Yeah, it, it is not. Another reason they think that this happens like the the actual mechanism behind why there are morning people and night people is because I think you guys, most people have heard of like a circadian rhythm, meaning Mm -hmm. again, like it's, it's just that cycle, that cyclical rhythm in your body that releases hormones at certain times that either make you kind of wakeful and ready to, to crush things, or it makes you kind of groggy, maybe irritable, sleepy. So that rhythm is typically about 24 hours. The average for humans is 24.2 hours. So that makes it really, if yours is close to that 24 hour, uh, it's really easy for you to stay on that kind of society, right? Societally okay. kind of a. Uh, accepted track, right? Of yeah. wake up early, sure. go to bed. However, they think that people who have this gene who make them a night people, they have a longer cycle, which means oh. that every day that you go and then you keep waking up early, you're accruing a sleep debt and you're having a hard time. Based on all the evidence from these different studies, most scientists agree that the best thing to do for night people is just to Allow them to adapt and like so to be able to work and like let them live their lives, (laughs) go to bed later. Yeah, no, they're just like, Yeah, no, this is within the range of like normal human function. And so we (laughs) allow people to be people.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do they have any idea what like the percentages of night people versus day people there are?
2: Yeah, so the term is a phase. Advanced versus phase delayed. So, so advance <laughs> is a lark, meaning they're tired in the early in the evening. Owls are phase delayed, meaning that they're not tired until late at night. I think
0: I'm probably a lark, to be honest. Like, I don't like that. No, but... I think it's totally fine. <laughs> so, I woke up to a bunch of texts from my friends, because it's Chad's birthday today. Happy birthday, Chad. And uh, so, I woke up to a bunch of texts people at four in the morning saying hey jump on discord and we'll do a bunch of karaoke stuff and i was like it is
2: 4am i am so asleep i am so as- i w- i went to bed at 10:30 if not 11 yeah. no i mean i think i think that's pretty normal so yes yeah, so to answer both mitch's question and respond to what you said the estimate is that about 50% of people are aren't really morning or evening oriented they're somewhere in the middle because it's a spectrum so okay it's about this gene expression and how much you express this gene And so that's why it's phase advanced or phase delayed. So if you're phased advanced and you're a morning person, that means you're ahead of the phase. You're, you're waking up early. That's really necessarily what we're supposed to do. If you're phase delayed, then you're most active later in the day. And so that's why scientists are using those, that language now like phase advanced or phase delayed, because they're trying to show like neither of them are necessarily quote unquote right or wrong. Right. Like, if you're kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So 50% of people are kind of in the middle, which 25% are true like morning people and 25% are true, like you were saying, night people, where it's like you're up until four or five in the morning and then you want to sleep until, you know, 12 or one. I'm not sure if I'm a larker now, I probably am somewhere in the middle, maybe trending closer to owl. Because I will say there was a while where I started to think, I think I even told people this, that like I had turned into a morning person. This is a fun story. Because I was waking up, on my own like every morning around like seven and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my god I'm just like a morning person now I'm just like hashtag so successful hashtag so motivated Uh, (laughs) and then it turned out it was anxiety and that like and then I realized oh no nobody else is waking up like this (gasps) which is how how I wake up if I don't take my medication (laughs) so (laughs) so I was not a morning person I was just so So, yeah it's just anxiety Yeah, it was really cute. So just for some other uh, really fun things to make sure that people know about the difference between morning people and night people to get rid of some of these like stigmas. This is a a direct quote from the BBC. Hashtag Ellie. Uh, Thank you. Although morning types may achieve more academically, night owls tend to perform better on measures of memory processing speed and cognitive ability even when they have to perform those tasks in the morning nighttime people are also more open to new experiences and seek them out more they may be more Mm. creative although not always and contrary to the maxim healthy wealthy and wise one study showed that night owls are as healthy and wise as morning types and a little bit wealthier
1: cool interesting
2: so anybody who says oh yeah if you want to be a ceo you need to get up at 4 a.m and and, you know, have done all these things that that probably works really, really well for them. But science agrees that you should do what feels right in your body. Similar to like, like, I feel like that's like the new vibe, right? 2020. It's like, uh, hey, what should you eat? Uh, I don't know. What feels right for your body? When should you? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What feels right for your body? Who should you fuck? Oh, I don't know. What feels right for your body? What should you Yeah. yourself? I don't know. What feels right for your body? Like, I feel I like love that's it. a pretty good standard to hold ourselves to
0: hell yeah chelsea
1: yes (laughs) that's fascinating
0: i'm gonna kick off with eight points because i just love the intention of breaking down the bullshit i'm gonna add another point because you made me feel better about myself and how i'm wired oh that's great i like that yeah that's really good thank you chelsea of course yeah that's my points mitch what about you
1: well, I'm going to come out then nine points oh just God. out the gate because I feel like you explained how I'm wired because I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm definitely a, at least like a, if here's the line, I'm like a moderate to high level owl, you know, just <laughs> slightly <laughs> slightly to you. the right.
0: Would you say that you're one of the owls of Gahoo? I hope so.
1: No, I would not. <laughs> I would absolutely not say that.
0: <laughs> it was never say that, So okay.
1: But it also even explains like a little bit about how my marriage dynamic works because my wife is definitely a lark, you know, uh, just how she's wired. And like it's just kind of funny how around to, like eleven o'clock every night I start to turn on and I just get weird. <laughs> And she's just like, I'm, I'm going done. to bed. It's over. <laughs> this is done. It's fine.
2: It always makes
1: sense. It makes so much more sense now.
2: I think I'm probably with Ellie. Like I'm somewhere between a lark and an owl. But I Connor is definitely an owl, like, especially like living with him right now because he's furloughed from his job. He is on a wake up at 10 a.m. go to bed at 3 a.m. schedule. Like, but like it is it's not it's not laziness or not caring because it is the same every day. Like that is just how he is. Like when left to his own devices this is the pattern that he follows. That's how he do. Yeah, and he still does everything in a day that he wants or needs to get done. <laughs> he just does them between 10 and 3 instead of... Impossible. 7 and 11. You just I know, gotta you
1: know. remember to call the bank <laughs> before they close. You know, stuff like that.
2: But that's, That is morning society. Of course, yeah. you. That's the
1: man pushing neck. me down. That's yeah.
2: the tyranny of the morning. It's the larks. Tyranny of the morning people.
1: The lark treearchy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Match the lark triarchy.
1: <laughs> We're talking about the stupidest sporting event of all time
2: Good. yes
1: do you want to take any guess of what sport
2: i already guessed guess so many sports and i was wrong
1: that's true time. so we're talking about the 1904 st louis olympic marathon
2: okay <laughs> that's not what i would have guessed <laughs> I mean, <you> have <laughs> all the I time in think the world so. i still wouldn't have guessed that
1: okay so the 1904 olympics is already crazy and i didn't do enough research into this so i'm sorry but apparently it was put on by white supremacists oh. and that might be another topic for down the road
0: that was an um, ironic woo just so everyone knows
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically it was supposed to happen in chicago and then it moved to st louis because of the world's fair coming into chicago and so they needed to rep- prepare which ended up being the world's fair that uh HH uh, H. H. Holmes created his murder house in so that's oh a, cool another, yeah cool. that's a whole oh, other what topic to go over mm, later. yay <laughs> the marathon in the 1904 Olympics had 32 athletes representing four nations uh, but only 14 managed to finish the race Wow so in most marathons up until today uh, just across all time about 78 percent of runners finished the race okay so only 14 of 32 finished this time. Um, there's a lot of factors that came into that. Um, one, it was 92 degrees
2: Oof. Fahrenheit
1: with uh, with the humidity in the 90s, which made the heat index in St. Louis 135 degrees Fahrenheit.
2: Oh, okay. That's not oh. even by yeah. high standards.
1: Yeah. The race began and ended in a stadium constructed for the Olympic Games, but 90% of the remaining course was competed on dirt roads surrounding the, the stadium.
2: So it was like a little lie.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, on top of that, though, race officials were driving and vehicles ahead of and behind the runners the entire time creating dust clouds. Oh! It got so bad, actually, that American runner William Garcia was found 19 miles into the race coughing up blood. <gasps> so he had swallowed so much dust from other vehicles that it sanded off the membrane inside of his stomach and caused internal hemorrhaging.
2: So gr- <laughs> holy God. shit that's
0: so
1: yeah.
2: fucking gross.
1: That's horrible so on top of all of these conditions um you know when you're when you're running a marathon what's probably the most important thing thing that you would probably need as a runner it's probably water right to be able to breathe well breathe breathing's good too you're gonna need water in this in this race specifically there was only one water station present in the entire race So a marathon is 26.2 miles. They placed the water station at mile marker 11.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, that's so awful.
1: Um, So it was actually a well. It was just a freshwater well in the middle of of turn-of-the-century St. Louis. There were so many contaminants in this water as well that people that weren't even U.S. runners that weren't from the area. Uh, were developing intestinal disorders after drinking from the
0: water oh, oh my gosh yeah. this race was a real
2: life ruiner
1: oh yeah it, it was sucks. Awful. uh so olympic official james edward sullivan who is later named the secretary of the u.s olympic committee and he's actually now enshrined in the national track and field hall of fame he was the one who insisted on only one water station um, so that he could minimize fluid intake to test how far purposeful dehydration could be taken. Whoa. So it was like an entire experiment gone awry, this entire race that is oh. actually in Olympic history.
2: But no way. But, but you yeah. did this for what? Like,
1: <laughs> like <laughs> for For glory, for your country's glory. I guess. Kelsey. I wanted to kind of just detail mainly, because the race is crazy, but I wanted to break down... Um, the 14 people who finished because they're the most interesting people about this story okay so first place and i don't have everybody's names um i didn't do that much research but first place was actually a guy he ran most of the race and intended to drop out about at mile 11 he was dying he couldn't handle it anymore and got into a car for his team to change his clothes And then the car broke down two miles from the finish line when they were driving back. And so he just kind of hopped out and jogged the rest of the way. And then when he hit to the stadium, he started celebrating and was crowned the winner. That man was Thomas Hicks of the United States of the United States. He finished with wow. 3 hours wow. 28 minutes and 53 seconds, yes. which is obviously the slowest That's time amazing. in Olympic history. <laughs> it's actually slow. It's actually so slow that it's almost an entire 35 minutes slower than the next slowest time.
2: Oh, that is good.
1: And he finished most of the race in a car.
2: How is it allowed? Like,
1: well, I mean, it's 1904, and it obviously wasn't allowed. So, what happens <laughs> next is, uh, and also it
2: wasn't. So, <laughs>
1: uh, the second place finisher. So, this guy is amazing. He actually finishes the race. um His name is Albert cory also an American. He finishes just six minutes after uh, Thomas Hicks. His story is harrowing. Oh no! So, no. He ended up being carried he was basically carried across the finish line and his legs were twitching by his trainers. So the reason why is because he had been following a car the entire time. So remember another another runner had like consumed so much dust because of the cars and the traffic on this road okay. that it shaved off the inside lining of his stomach. Mm-hmm. So he's been running behind this the entire time. His trainer who was running him, Basically, this is one of the first recorded cases of doping in the Olympics.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: So they were giving him a mixture of brandy and rat poison, as well as egg whites for the entire race.
2: Ew. So, yeah,
1: so doping was rat not illegal poison? yet. Yeah. So strychnine specifically works essentially as like a superpowered version of caffeine when ingested in low dosages. So in small amounts, it blocks glycine receptors. When you get tired, your glycine receptors trigger and it makes you stop moving because you're like, hey, you're overexerting yourself. But it blocks those receptors when you ingest strychnine. So it could, in theory, uh, allow you to exert yourself past the point of tiring. If taken in large doses, though, it causes nonstop muscle contractions all over your body until you stop breathing. Oh my God. So he'd been just ingesting since about mile marker eight, just strychnine and brandy and no water.
2: Does the brandy help in some way? Or was it just for courage? <laughs>
1: that was just because his trainer didn't believe he needed water. He was just giving him brandy because he believed it was a stimulant, which we now know it's not. <laughs>
0: it sure is That's isn't. how far medicine sure gone. is gone. So it sure is not.
1: He ends up finishing and on the podium is eventually awarded the gold because. uh the guy who got first uh, admits like hey you know i actually didn't finish this race so they end up giving albert Corey the gold but he's basically hallucinating on the stage amazing he has no
0: yes idea. that's incredible
1: yeah. uh third place <laughs> is actually completely unremarkable he just ran the race which is crazy he's the only person <laughs> like, i just
2: fucking did the fucking thing can you imagine if you ran that race and then you had to stand up on the podium next to a guy who's just tripping balls?
1: No, that's basically what's happening. He's basically hallucinating. has no idea where he is. <laughs> yeah. The fourth finisher, his is my favorite. He's from Cuba. And Cuba wasn't originally invited to compete at all. Because I guess we've had beef with Cuba even before the Bay of Pigs. But <laughs> Interesting. They weren't allowed to compete at all. Um, he was a Cuban mailman. His name was... Felix de la Caridad Carvajal y Soto. Wow. Andrean Carvajal. He was known as the Cuban mailman. Good. Um, accurate. He, so good. he raised enough funds to attend the Olympics by running nonstop around his entire country of Cuba. Yes. Which is incredible. Like it's awesome. He just like he he gra- he had this like grassroots movement in his country. Mm-hmm. He was like, I have to compete. I'm a marathon runner. Let's do this. And so he gets all this money. He comes. He takes a ship to New Orleans and he lands where he promptly, within the day of landing, loses all of his traveling money at a riverboat casino.
2: <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it happens to the so, best of us. <laughs> so he basically trains to
1: St. Louis. <laughs> uh, he runs the entire race in dress shoes and long trousers.
2: No. that
1: Yes. Um and he gets fourth he probably would have come in first this is multiple sources have found this it seems insane but uh he he would have gotten first had it not been for the he took an hour nap on the side of the track oh my god he, he tore the
2: hair himself
1: yeah he took a nap because he apparently stopped at an apple orchard and ate rotten apples and it Whoa. made him sick <laughs> and he took an hour-long nap
2: i i swear Mitch, with every new thing that you say, I then suddenly remember that this is the fucking Olympics. Like, this isn't just... (laughs) This (laughs) is the Olympics.
1: It's crazy.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: That's what's so incredible about this whole thing. So he finally finishes. Everybody else who comes runs it also. The people who finished in ninth and twelfth place were actually the first South African contestants to run in any marathon or compete in any olympic game the first black south africans to compete period
2: assuming they were treated really nicely in st louis
1: they were allowed to compete because they didn't have enough runners period uh, um they were also not there to compete they were there for a uh, i forgot the name of the war but it's a war they had in south africa but a war reenactment and decided this would be fun so they both decided <laughs> to run and ran barefoot and created history it's incredible
0: that's amazing
1: the guy who finished in ninth place, um, so he's one of these runners. His name was uh Lin Tao. He actually would have placed higher, but he was chased off course by a pack of angry dogs. What? Oh. Yes. He was chased a mile off course and then was able to circle back and still beat his buddy. So, you know, what does that say about that? Nice. Um yeah, over half the participants in this marathon had actually never raced competitively before. Russia was actually supposed to compete um uh but they actually arrived at the games one entire week late because they were still using the Julian calendar.
2: Wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait.
1: So their day, their their calendars were messed up because they were no, still what? using
2: no way! <laughs> uh, that that excuse, like if I miss a meeting or something. I'm sorry. I was on Julian. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was yeah. on the Julian I calendar. Down.
2: I had it down for next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the literally the stupidest sporting event of all time.
2: I, I love it. cannot believe that that is real. I cannot, well, I cannot believe that's part of the Olympics. Like, especially like everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody like loves the Olympics now. And like, you know, there's always like every four years, there's those memes of just like, I wish there was like a regular person in the Olympics so I could see what it would be like. And now, and, oh, do <laughs> well, you really want to see
1: that? Because it's not great. Yeah. I mean, this is literally a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a perfect example. There were a few runners who died running the Aww. course but I couldn't find enough information to go over that in detail. Yeah, cuz they unfortunately. weren't fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz they didn't win Well, honestly, if you even go to the like the official stats, you know, there's 32 people who ran and only 14 finish and of the 14 who finished, the only recorded times for the top 3.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, so they don't even oh, have, wow. they don't even have the statistics for everybody who ran.
2: Oh boy. I'm going to give you seven points for making me care about sports, <laughs> uh, which I almost could maybe take points away for, but I've decided to give you points for it. And Thank you. I'm going to give you another three points. For the person that was on Julian calendar time.
1: <laughs> uh, the entire Russian team. There was like so The whole of Russia. And just nobody
2: there. let them know. No wonder they were so mad at us for so long. <laughs> I'm gonna take away uh one point for that guy with his bad stomach, with his stomach getting eaten away, because that really freaked me out.
1: It freaked me out too.
2: I'm gonna give
0: you eight points um just to start off with. Because I really, I just really jived with the topic. I'm going to add a point for the Julian calendar because I love that. What idiots? Amazing.
1: You should add a point and then remove it a week from now.
0: I'm going to do exactly that. (laughs) These points never meant anything, and now they mean even less, and I'm going to (laughs) take that point away in a week time. (laughs) so. So thank you so much, Mitch. That was incredible. Thank you.
2: I did it. I did
1: it. You got Fuck. rid of your hiccups?
0: I did it, yeah. Oof. What a time. Okay, guys. Founder, expander, preserver, unifier. I'm talking about something that has long fascinated me, and I don't know if it has the same kind of draw and appeal to you guys because you grew up here in America, but I am talking about Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Are you serious? I've always been kind of fascinated and intrigued by Mount Rushmore. And today I decided to look super into it. And luckily enough for us, it's a pretty fascinating story of how that all came about. We all kind of know the iconic landmarks that we are drawn to in a way. Uh, I mean, the Gherkin in London and the London Eye and, you know, Eiffel Tower, all these kind of like very prestigious things iconic landmarks uh, are such a thing and Mount Rushmore for me has always been something I'm like it's always kind of fascinated me of like how did that come to be do you guys know much about how Mount Rushmore was made and why and who and how no
2: I know no I know roughly where it is and I know who's on it
1: okay (laughs) yeah and that's about all I know it's in man I don't even want to sound dumb so is it in South Dakota
0: Mount Rushmore as you said, it's located in the Black Hills of Keystone, South Dakota, and it's a sculpture of four famous presidents, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. And two of the two of those four were in Hamilton. Uh, that's true. Two of those four were retroactively in Hamilton. <laughs> I I recently got interested in this because I, I heard that, um, and this might not be true, but sounds pretty true, the current president wants to add his face to the mountain. Um, which is not how that freaking works. But here we go. (laughs) So these four faces of the presidents are carved into a granite rock face, uh, and it took many decades for that to happen. And
1: if we learned anything from National Treasure, we know there's like an entire maze (sighs) behind it.
0: Mitch, I'm (laughs) I'm so excited for you. Okay. (laughs) 1923. this This topic. 1923. Mount Rushmore National Park was the brainchild of the historian Doane Robinson, South Dakotan historian, who is now known apparently as the quote unquote father of Mount Rushmore. His goal was to create an attraction that would draw people from all over the world to his state. And to be fair to him, he was pretty right about that. Doane Robinson he contacted Gutzon Borglum, who was a sculptor currently working on Stone Mountain in Georgia. As historian Doane Robinson wanted to sculpt the likenesses of Western heroes like. Uh, Oglala Lakota leader Red Cloud, explorers Lewis and Clark, and Buffalo Bill Cody into the nearby stone pinnacles known as the Needles. But this Danish-American sculptor, Gutzon Berglom, was like fuck that, <laughs> basically. Just to give you a little bit of a background on this guy uh, we just call him Borglum, that's his surname. Borglum. Uh, he was the f- Borglum. He was the first American sculptor to have his work purchased by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. At the time, he was working on the massive carving at Stone Mountain in Georgia. But by his own account, he said that it was flawed. So he was kind of already looking for a way out when <laughs> South Dakota called him and was like, hey, do you want to do this instead? And he was like, that sounds amazing. He was a really good friend of the French sculptor Auguste Rodin. and. Um, Known for his sculptures of the thinker,
1: is that the one that's like where he's thinking? <laughs> yes, Rodin. Cool. He's also a founder of the popular MLM Rodin and Fields.
0: No, <laughs> no, nope. nope. Okay, so Borglum was a really good friend of the French sculptor Rodin. He saw the area that this historian wanted to work with, and was like, mm, you know what, no. I want to carve a mountain. I want to create something that people across the world are going to see and be interested in and want to learn more about. So they met during uh, in various times during 1924 and 1925. And Borglum was the one who identified Mount Rushmore as the perfect location for this grand monument, mostly because it faced its southeast so that it would take advantage of the rising sun every day. So they petitioned Congress, who agreed to match uh, $250,000 of funding for the project, and they created the Mount Rushmore National Memorial Commission. Can you imagine that happening today? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Um, The work began in 1927 with a team of 400 men, most of whom had actually been miners going to the Black Hills to look for gold. Uh, they just were like, hey, do you want to do this instead? And these guys were like, "Uh, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, are you going to pay me? Then yes. Yeah, then fine.
1: (laughs) Job's a job.
0: Job's a job. Exactly. So according to the National Park Service, here is the reasoning for Borglum to choose the presidents that he did choose to carve into the mountain. Washington was the first president, the founder. Uh, That's easy. Jefferson, with the Louisiana Purchase, he greatly expanded the nation, the expander. Ah. Theodore Roosevelt, not only represented the industrial development of the nation, but also widely known for his conservation efforts, so he was the preserver. And then Lincoln, as president during the U.S. Civil War, represented the unifier of the nation. Aww. So that is why he chose these four presidents. Good for him. Most of the men that they hired to do this job had no idea how to carve. They weren't sculptors, but they certainly did know how to blow shit up.
2: Yes. Good.
0: So, with 450,000 tons of granite that needed to be removed, they figured out pretty early on Jack Hammers were not going to do it. 90% of the granite removed from the rock face was done with dynamite. Basically, these president faces were blown into the mountain.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah. Workers hung from 3 uh, 8 inch steel cables and carried dynamite to the different Points in the mountain where they wanted to blow up. It carries a record because to their credit, no one died during Mount Rushmore's construction, which is pretty wild. Like that's impressive. Yeah. Wow. Most For of what these it things. Is. Yeah, yeah. Nobody died during the mountain's construction or destruction, depending on how you look at it. So during production, the design itself went through nine different changes. <laughs> What appears right now is not exactly how the sculpture was conceived. A, he had plans for wording to be etched into the rock face, called the entablature. He wanted to have a brief history of the United States, highlighting nine important events between 1776 and 1906, carved into an image of the Louisiana Purchase. But Congress was like, we can't fucking afford that. Shut up. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. The design itself was supposed to be all of the four presidents from the waist up. There's a photo that I'll share on social that was the original design. It was all based off of a model that was like one twelfth of the size. So still pretty freaking big that had Washington down to his waist. And all of the presidents were supposed to go down like that. The whole sculpture was supposed to be that size, but there just wasn't enough funding to cover what it was supposed to be.
2: I mean, I know that probably if I had grown up with that, it would be it would seem normal, but it just sounds very unnerving. <laughs> it's like, oh, right, of having like waist up men in the side of the mountain.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Jefferson was originally started on George Washington's right side, but the granite there was full of quartz, so they kept trying to blow it off and blast it off. But it was like it's much harder to remove quartz than it is uh, granite. So after A year and a half, they figured out the location just wasn't working, so they dynamited off his face and started carving it on the other side.
1: (laughs) Uh, Imagine two Jeffersons, though.
0: (laughs) They just kept the original They just did two? (laughs)
1: Yeah, they just had two of them.
0: (laughs) Overall, the project cost just under a million dollars and took 14 years to finish, but this is back in the 1930s. You
1: said just one million dollars? $989,992.32. Do you know what that is adjusted for inflation?
0: Let's try. Let's do it now. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out.
1: Because that doesn't seem like a ton of money, but I have no idea as far as the time.
0: I just put that figure from 1931 in now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet it'll work. So, that in today's money is $15 million. 100%. It's just still not that much. Yeah, it really
1: isn't. It's
0: it? $15 million? $15,15,15,15,285,972. Yeah.
1: If that was like a prop, I'd be like, go for
0: it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) So the sculptor himself, Borglin, was known for his mood swings and was continuously firing and rehiring people, which is cute. Um Oh, that's
2: (laughs) I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he actually ended up dying seven months before it was done, and his son took on the project and completed it for him. So there are two things about this that really blew my mind and got me like so jazzed about this number one the mountain took its name incredibly from a New York attorney who was there on business he asked the name of the location and this was like in 1884 or 1885 a local man with a group looking at the mountain informed him that it didn't have a name but the lawyer was called Charles Rushmore uh-huh. and the guy who was taking him on a tour said well we'll name it now let's just call it Rushmore <laughs> <laughs> like, oh
2: does it have a name seriously now? that was it
0: <laughs> that was literally it. So some lawyer was like, What's this mountain called? And someone said, "Ah, uh, fuck, I don't know. It's called it after what's your name? Mount Rushmore? Great. Sounds great. Let's call it Rushmore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's just some guy who's in the area looking for a mine, looking for a gold mine. Amazing. And then here is the freaking thing, dude. Here is why I was gonna call this National Treasure was right. Because another plan from the sculptor Borglum was to have a hall of records in a room behind Lincoln's head and it would be a vault containing the history of the nation and vital documents like the constitution and on display would be important documents and it would be decorated with mosaics and then again in 1939 because of lack of funding Congress were like shut up leave it we're not doing that that's stupid but a tunnel there does remain and it does and it does house some porcelain panels giving the background about the building on the monument and the artists and the presidents but it is inaccessible so <laughs> oh. or is it or is it <laughs> mm-hmm. so In 1998, the vision for the Hall of Records was realized when porcelain tablets containing images and texts from the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence, and biographies of the presidents and Borglum himself were sealed inside the vault in the unfinished hall. So, Nick Cage, national treasure is real. It's all right. It's all facts. And that is true.
1: So they did seal a whole bunch of stuff in there?
0: Yes, they did.
1: That's amazing.
0: Guys, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind Lincoln's head in Mount Rushmore.
1: Oh, Guys, that's cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Should we? Mm hmm. <laughs> Sh- should we go? Sh- <laughs> yeah, should we?
1: Should we? Yeah. Honestly, like, there's nobody there right now. We might as well just hop <laughs> Let's in the car. Go do it.
2: Everybody time. Let's I got
0: <laughs> One final fact to leave you with. Um, I told you that they hired miners and explosive experts to create the the monument, but they did hire one artist, a guy called Korjak Zielikowski, to work as an assistant on the mountain. But after 20 days and a very heated argument with Borglum's son, Lincoln Borglum, he left. And he is now responsible for another mountain carving very very close by called the crazy horse memorial which is today the la- the world's largest mountain sculpture in progress do you guys know about the crazy horse memorial Mm-mm. uh i know some things. so the I'm crazy cool. horse memorial is a mountain monument under construction in the black hills in south dakota which will depict the oglala lakota warrior crazy horse riding a horse and pointing into the distance edits just to give you reference the each of the president's faces on mount rushmore is 60 feet tall crazy uh-huh. horse's f- face is going to be this is going to be a whole monument of his of him on horseback pointing to the distance just his face is going to be 87 feet high so
2: Ooh, he's this awesome. monument
0: is going to be absolutely huge I ha- I highly recommend just googling the Crazy Horse Memorial and seeing its progress, it's amazing but it's basically the rival to Mount Rushmore that is still being built today in the Black Hills of South Dakota love it um, that's
2: awesome and that is, Eleanor. that's the story of Mount Rushmore amazing, Eleanor what
1: five a great story
2: national you. treasure Five points. <laughs> crazy horse five points <laughs> <Nicholas K. laughs> that's it that's, that's it that's how i feel that's good
0: um thank you thank you so much that's how
1: i feel i'm gonna award eight points because i never thought i could learn so much about Ra- mount rushmore there you go. But I know there
2: was that. no
1: i will award an additional 10 points <gasps> if when oh i go ish. to mount rushmore if the password to get into the secret area behind Lincoln's head <laughs> is Valley Forge, you <laughs> will 10 points.
0: Well, we're all going to go. We're all going to try uh, it out. Ellie, how are you going to mark down a conditional 10 points? Uh, it, uh, it remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am so excited about our upcoming road trip, all of us, to go to South Dakota. And oh, see I can't them. wait. See so the faces in the mountain and go see what's behind Lincoln's head. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of What? Mitch, where could people find you?
1: Uh, I am on Instagram at, at Mitchapalooza32 if you want to see pictures of me living my mundane lifestyle.
0: <laughs> yes, I do. Yes. Chelsea, where can people find you?
2: People can find me all over the internet at Chelsea Harfish beautiful and you can
0: find me at ellie maney on twitter or ellie main on instagram and you can find this podcast at what pod on instagram twitter and facebook we're updating that all the time and adding some really fun stuff there so do check it out you can go to those two girls dot club to check out our merch and all the information that we have on there and you can go to redbubble.com forward slash what pod to check out our actually you know I think it's redbubble.com forward slash those two girls to check out the merch for this pod which is also updating with every episode and every fun silly new joke that we come up with so please do check that out and um you know what during this quarantine maybe go ahead and go learn something
2: at morning or at night <laughs> either one which works for you <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much